Welcome everyone to WRPX, your wrestling revolution podcast. I'm your host, Antonio Garza, and it is a sunny morning. We are about 95 degrees in heat, some low humidity. Uh, we had some rain a couple of days ago, so I think the humidity is still, you know, in the atmosphere. But we have a week where we actually have a lot of things to talk about. Well, okay, so there's a lot of things that happen and a lot of things we need to preview. Um, and unfortunately, we're not going to be able to talk about them all, I think. Um, we had a couple of shows that I wanted to cover, but as as I got close to recording this show, I just figured there's a lot of things going on, not just in the last week, but also like, uh, we know we have Slammiversary coming up. Um uh, we have the Grand Slam from New Japan Pro Wrestling coming up, but that one I think we can preview it till the next week. But because of that, we also had like the Ring of Honor pay-per-view. We had a really big Gato move that I wasn't expecting uh, was going to be so great uh, that we want to talk about. But so we had like shows like Seatlings, Nanai Takahashi's 25th anniversary show, which was pretty good. Uh, we had a Noah show that was like... Pretty okay. It was the main event with Marufuji and Sugira, and I thought that was going to be worth talking about. Um, we also had a, I mean, we've had New Japan the Summer Struggle shows were with like the fantastic, fantastic, Lij versus Dangerous Techers match with Sanada and Naito winning the championships, and I also kind of wanted to talk about that show, but uh, yeah, like I, I guess time just kind of like. Um, piled up on me and I have to I guess prioritize what I think would be like the best thing to cover and that will be Ring of Honor's Best in the World 2021 I think uh, I thought the show was worth covering just because it feels like Ring of Honor's first big show um, like getting back into like Ring of Honor, you know, getting back into having fans, uh, slightly just getting back into like the, the, you know, what, what's the word that I'm looking for? It's kind of like just the schedule. They've been, they've been back for a while in the sense of they're doing, doing shows, but this one kind of felt like uh, Delirious or whoever's going to do the booking from now on is finally like, okay, so let's rewrite everything we lost some people we gained some people but this is the direction we're gonna take and so i felt that was a uh, uh something worth talking about uh we had a couple of title changes too and and that's what i'm talking about like it felt like we're changing a certain things certain titles because we're starting a new direction the show was in Baltimore, Maryland. They I don't know what the the gate was, but it seemed like there was people there were people there. And I don't know if they were like really, really quiet, but it didn't seem like many. So I, I don't think they did more than a thousand to be honest. I could be wrong. The show started with well, there was a pre-show actually. Um let me go back to the pre-show. The pre-show was called hour one uh this was two matches ray horus defeated the uh, demonic flamita uh pretty good match actually i think this was one of my favorite matches of the whole night uh and then then house and pco defeated the bouncers that's uh brawler Milonas and the beer city brewster um that match was pretty meh i'm not a fan of dan Housen, and i think pco like i mean he's a car crash wrestler He's fun for certain things, but like just watching him week to week is not particularly attractive. Uh, and the only other thing that happened in this hour one show that is worth mentioning is the there was a contract signing with Matt Taven and Vincent, and it's for a cage match on the August 21st show. And it is 
supposedly the last time they'll wrestle because Matt Taven is saying that he's leaving uh, Ring of Honor. I I mean, maybe. I don't really know. But, um, yeah, so they're going to have a cage match. Um, and that's it, pretty much. Uh, both guys were off the pay-per-view uh, except for that stuff. So at least they got some stuff in. But now going into the actual show, we started with a Briscoes versus Brian Johnson and BJ Black match. The match was meh, really. Um, like Brian Johnson cut out a heel promo. Like it was like your quintessential generic talk shit about the fans, talk shit about the promoter, and talk shit about like your opponents. Um, you know, like your type of jokes like inbred brothers because the briscoes like and the the fans are fat and dirty it's like i don't know like you would imagine heel heat would be would advance you know to the 21st like 2021 year that we are at but no it's still like same old 90s shit um like this Brian Johnson should watch some sad Gibson tapes to see how the cup cut a promo and get some actual heat. I didn't like the guy. Uh PJ Black was just kind of there, really, uh to take the pin. And the Briscoes, like the Briscoes look pretty good. Uh like I haven't really been invested in the Briscoes in a long, long time. And this match kind of like, oh the Briscoes, this was nice. But yeah, shitty match, to be honest. I didn't like it. Um, well, I didn't care for it. It was well wrestled. I just didn't care for it. I don't care for this Brian Johnson kid. And PJ Black could probably do something better. Uh, next up, we had EC3 versus uh, defeating Flip Gordon. And this was the worst match of the night. Um, yeah. <laughs> the I, I don't know. Like I Also, I don't particularly care much about... like. Flat Earther Pit Flip Gordon and EC3 I enjoy, but I mean, there was really nothing here. Uh, the story is that EC3 is just, I guess, trying to adhere to the code of honor and, and Gordon's like not being really honorable in his actions. And so they had this bat, this match. Um, Flip Gordon worked over EC3's leg and EC3 just then kind of like made a comeback. He eventually hit the ECD and the rear naked choke for a submission. That's it. I I don't know how I feel about Flip Gordon losing since the commentary kept uh, bringing up that he's going to be challenging for the championship in a couple, like in about a month. So I don't know why they defeated Flip Gordon if he's going to be challenging for a world title, I think. He sh the last thing he needs is losses. Um, so yeah, another kind of like shitty match. Like so far, the start of the pay per view is like, eh. Then we go into Shane Taylor promotions. That is Shane Taylor, Count, and Moses, accompanied by O'Shea Edwards. They defeated the the not so much of a team of Dak Draper, Dalton Castle, and Eli Isom. These guys were not a team. Uh until probably like this match and they had a lot of dissension between each other Drape, draper and eli don't like each other and so i don't know how the fuck they got themselves a tag title uh shot i guess it's all on on dalton castle but uh i don't know this was terrible like also like it wasn't terrible in the sense that it was a bad match but the story was just a draper castle and, and eli could not work together. They all have egos and they cannot uh, find chemistry. And so they kept stepping on each other's toes or stealing tags, stuff like that. Um, and so it really just ended up being a showcase of how awesome Shane Taylor promotions are. And I mean, for that matter, that was like, like a good match, but just seeing Draper and Catherine and Eli do nothing, it was pretty mad. Um, something that I thought was really sad here is that Dalton, Dalton Castle came out with his boys again, but this were not the original boys. He just came out with four, like fat dudes with fruit of the loom, v neck t-shirts. And I was like, wow, how, 
how have the mighty have fallen uh so yeah this was also pretty meh like this could have totally been on a normal televised ring of honor show if it's just it was close to being a squash uh just by how dominant shane taylor promotions were next up we had josh wood and silas jung and this is when the show actually started to pick up um the match itself was it was a last man standing match i i'm not particularly a big fan of the stipulation but they actually kind of kept the kept the like the counting to minimum um it wasn't as minimum as i wish like i like when they do this like a last man standing match but there's only one count and that is the last count but in this case um they, they kept it to a minimum uh for a weapons match it was pretty good there was a couple of um spots that looked really really painful but at the same time like nothing was particularly innovative and i did like that they mixed striking and submission stuff into the match which in hindsight uh, it looked cool here but they were gonna do it later on in another match really similar match and so i I don't know if it was the best idea. I guess by this point, uh, like there was, an, I guess enough matches between that maybe I just slightly forgot, but they definitely did similar things. Nonetheless, uh, Woods versus John was pretty good. Woods is Woods is really good. I just think he needs to like, I don't know, like establish who he is more than just being Josh Woods, a fighter. Um, and Silas Young has always been great. Silas Young is, is how they say the best Silas Young there can be. Uh, he's just like, I don't know, like he's perfect for who he is. Uh, but yeah, uh, the match saw at the end, um, I think Woods hit a German suplex on Jan, uh, outside, like from the apron into a couple of tables on the floor. And then he was able to get up. Young wasn't able, so Josh Woods wins the match. But uh, yeah, like this one felt like it was picking up. And now the show really picked up with Jay Lethal versus Brody King. And this match, while it wasn't much of a match, it was actually really close to be a squash match. Uh, this I thought was perfect for what it was. And that was presenting Brody King as a... The, like a destructive machine that run over Jay Lethal. And we're talking about Jay fucking Lethal here. Um, this was a match where we saw Jay Lethal start the match with a lethal injection and Brody King kicked out a one. And then we saw uh, Lethal hit four Tope Suicidas and go for a dropkick. And he wasn't able to bring Co uh, Brody King to, to out of uh, off his feet. Like uh, Brody King was just in a destruction path. He took on everything Lethal gave him and he just gave it back double. Um, it was actually really similar to the match we talked about last week with Takeshita and Hino where you have Hino who is an unstoppable machine and then Takeshita just reviving. The only difference is that Lethal wasn't able to make a comeback. Uh, Brody King just destroyed Lethal. At the end, he got the win with a... With two Gonzo pile drivers, actually, uh, not just one, two Gonzo pile drivers, and so yeah, like not much of a match, but I think um, if you want to see this as an like maybe as an angle, this was similar to John Cena and Brock Lesnar the the Suplex City match, where it wasn't much of a match; it was more of an angle, and the angle was introducing this character that is going to run over and destroy this other character and establish himself as a a force to be dealt with and i think that's that was the point of this match and so at this point brody king is that guy who just destroyed jay lethal the only problem is that as while jay lethal is the top guy uh brody king i mean he's not the top well he's a top guy in the sense of like He's Jay Lethal in Ring of Honor 2021. 
but he's not the champion. Uh, yeah, he. I mean, he wasn't Rush, or he wasn't, I guess, at this point, you can say Bandido. You know, so it's kind of like different, but at the same time, I guess, just destroying a well-known, established name is a big deal for Brody King. Next up, we had the match of the night, the Ring of Honor Pure Championship match, Jonathan Gresham defeating Mike Bennett. Uh, pure Championship matches, if you haven't seen one, uh, they have pretty basic rules, like... A lot of people complain that they're really complicated, but they're really not. I mean, you just have three road breaks. Uh, if you go outside of the ring, you have uh, less amount of time to get back. Um, no close fist punches. You know, pretty basic stuff for a normal match. But um, this is great because it offers a lot of different storyline uh I don't know, like mechanisms, I guess is a good word uh, for for like telling the story. And like, and this was the case where we're telling the story of Mike Bennett, who no one or most people, including Gresham, see him as being like uh, worthy or at the level of a pure championship match. And so they like he had the the task of just like showing both the fans and Gresham that he could indeed hang and he kind of did like he did really like just lose and Gresham did kick his ass but I think there was a couple of good spots um Gresham went after the arm of Bennett and Bennett went after the head of Gresham chasing the pal driver and that was pretty much it, the, the story of the match, just working on each other's parts. Uh, the big, like, really, like, storyline detail here comes when Bennett actually manages to hit the pal driver. And he gets the pin, and he actually gets a treat count, but the referee, like, stands up, and he sees that Gresham's foot is still underneath the, ra the, the rope. And so Gresham still had a a rope break that he could use and so he like the count didn't, didn't count <laughs> the tree count the pin didn't count and then once he comes back uh he manages to get bennett in a leg lock and bennett doesn't have uh rope breaks and so bennett taps out and that is something cool like what i'm saying about a mechanism to tell stories like you can use the rope breaks to to give you certain like advantages and disadvantages and stuff like that for your wrestlers. And I thought th that was a pretty good use of it here. Uh, the action itself was great. Gresham's submission work is fantastic. Uh, arguably best in the world, if not for Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, out there still. But yeah, and Mike Bennett looked pretty good. I, I you, you can tell that Mike Bennett's not really the, the pure championship type of guy. But he did pretty well. Uh, that, that's the cool thing also about this championship. Like, it can give guys like Jonathan Gresham a lot to work with because it's their style. But you can also introduce guys like Mike Bennett who are not particularly like submission guys uh, and still have matches because it's not a, a, a technical submission championship. It's just follow this amount of rules and work along with them. And so... It, it's it, it's good it gives you a lot of things so i thought that was the match of the night i can already tell you that the rest one the rest of the card is not going to live up to this one but the rest of the card was indeed pretty good um just not up to level to the to gresham bennett and so we continue the next match we had was the ring of honor world television championship match this was tony deppen defending against dragon lee uh also known as Yuli. In Japan, I, I I actually thought that he couldn't use the Dragon Lee name in, in the U.S. either, but I guess he can. I don't know why I thought that, but this was huh, the the best way that I could describe it is that Tony Deppen and Dragon Lee tried to have a Dragon Lee versus Hiromu Takahashi match, but Tony Deppen is not Hiromu Takahashi. He's pretty good. I I I really enjoy Tony Deppen matches, but he's just like. 
some of the stuff just came off differently. I, I think a, a lot of it has to be that there is no emotional connection to Tony Depp and not just me, like the fans even, that people do have for Hiromu. And so there was just like a lot of heart and emotion missing in this match. It was just like strikes and you would see Depp and like get frustrated or get mad or whatever. But you're like, eh, it's just Tony Depp and making faces. And so I think may maybe it was just a matter that I don't follow Ring of Honor as closely. Uh, and and thus I don't have that emotional connection to Deppen. But I don't know. Like the match itself was good just action wise. But I didn't think it was there in terms of uh, what they were trying to do. But yeah, like like straight up whole Japanese match. We started with a bunch of striking. We had that one big dive spot. We had more striking and then the finisher counter stuff and then more striking. Um, they try to do like the German no sell spot where they uh, once someone hits a German and then they get up, but they completely failed to notice or to understand that that spot works when you do one or two Germans, then you do like the big clothesline thing and you, both guys collapse because a flurry of offense like being fueled by your inner fire cannot last like this guy's went almost like a minute of doing that or maybe not a minute maybe like 30 seconds but uh they they went long they went way longer to the point where that when they finally collapse at that point i'm like oh yeah that's what they were doing but so it just came off more as no selling than the actual firing of spot and i thought that was a uh, a faulty sequence uh and yeah dragon lee eventually won with the with the knee he does uh i think they call it ignition and in ring of honor i think it just used to be like the dragon knee in in cmll but uh he won he was super dominant actually if you like after the match i i kind of started to realize that had dragon lee had been super dominant and like to the point where you actually start wondering like how did Deppen even get the championship because Dragon Lee was just uh like so dominant like as much as Tony Deppen got in like Dragon Lee was always on top and yeah so pretty good match uh just I I actually don't necessarily blame these guys to either but I at this point of the show I also started to notice that the crowd was super dead they were reacting only for spots and even like at that point they were just like yay it wasn't like a big reaction or anything it wasn't a a, a continuous reaction between spot and spot it was just like spot and then quiet spot and that started to to bother me in the rest of the matches and maybe that's the reason why i didn't give them that much of a rating uh because the crowd was pretty dead and if you forgot what happens when you have crowds, live crowds, but they're not reactions, sometimes that's worse than, than empty arena shows. At least in the empty arena, you can get like, you know, there's no crowds and you can hear the ring and you can hear the, the, the wrestlers talking. In this case, you had a crowd and when the crowd's dead, that's worse than a empty arena show. And I don't think a lot of people uh, that have been hoping for crowds remember what that is like but uh, that's how I started to feel about this show from here from this point on like the crowd's kind of dead uh, they would kind of wake up until the very end for Rush and Bandido but eh, it wasn't even that much anyway after the match Dickinson and Homicide came out uh, just to make sure that LFI wouldn't jump Tony Deppen and since they were already there out came Violence Unlimited, Chris Dickinson, I mean, uh, the Foundation, Chris Dickinson and, and Homicide were already there. The Foundation came out, Jonathan Gresham, Red Titus, and here's the detail. The champions originally are Red Titus and Tracy Williams, Hot Sauce Tracy Williams. But Tracy Williams was in an accident, a hit and run accident, uh, I think it was like about a month ago. And so he's not cleared to wrestle. Baltimore does have a commission and they uh, apparently they did not allow him to wrestle. That was actually also an argument that later on 
Chelsea Green, who debuted, um, brought up. So I don't know how much of a shoot that was. At the end of the day, he wasn't allowed to wrestle by someone. And so this was Gresham versus Red Titus. Gresham is also part of the foundation. And they are defending the Ring of Honor World Championship, the World Tag Team Championship in a fight without honor. And so in less than an hour, Jonathan Gresham is having the most honorable match of the night and is also having the most dishonorable match of the night. And the promotion itself, I, I, I guess Ladder War is slightly more dishonorable than a fight without honor. But I guess this one has it in the name, a fight without honor. But uh, yeah, and so the story here was that uh, to a certain point, Gresham has already wrestled. He is hurting. He is fighting outside of his comfort zone because he's going in a in a like a weapons match against Dirty Daddy Chris Dickinson and Hama fucking side. <laughs> and so he was just like he 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 tried to do a lot of submission stuff, which was really good. It looked pretty awesome to have submission stuff like that in a match without honor. But at the end of the day, just weapons being used on him eventually was way too much. And he ended up falling to Homicide's uh, cop killer. And so Violence Unlimited captures the championships. The match itself was, it was good. I liked it. There were several aspects that I liked about it. Like, for instance, this was the most... I liked Red Titus since he left at, uh, the All Night Express. And it actually kind of reminded me of some of the things that he used to do with the All Night Express. Like that, like one of the, the most memorable feuds they had were was uh, against, I think it was the Briscoes who they had the latter war against. And I kind of felt like that we were watching that Red Titus again, which was really good, really fun. Uh, the commentary kept telling us like Red Titus is the only guy in the promotion that can go from fight without honors to like pure championships, like like just turning up a switch. I I completely disagree, but I did like that perspective that Red Titus is pretty good at weapon matches, and so I don't know. There was a couple of spots. It was similar to the what I was saying with the Josh Woods and Silas Young match where. The spots themselves were not like super innovative or like anything special, but a couple of them did look really, really painful. There was one where uh, Red Titus like was tossed kind of like Santon Y uh, style into a open chair and the chair didn't give like it barely bent. And so Red Titus just took the whole blunt strike into his back. That was super sick. That was uh, actually like looked pretty bad. Uh, but I guess he was okay. I, I haven't really heard anything bad about it. So that's good for him. Uh, and yeah, good match. Binance Unlimited are the new champions. And then we had a special announcement by Maria Canellis and the returning Lenny Leonard. They gave the details for the Women of Honor tournament that is going to be starting soon. They showed the brackets. They announced that Bita Bone Star of the Vincent's Menagerie White Family thing, uh, they're called the Righteous, is going to be out of the tournament because she cheated. And so they need a replacement. And that replacement is going to be Hot Mess Chelsea Green. Um, it was kind of weird to see the whole Hot Mess entrance video because Chelsea Green. It's not a hot mess. Laura Banness is. So it doesn't seem she's going to come in with the hot mess gimmick. So I don't know if they're going to change the video. They should probably. I mean, how much can it cost? Anyway, <laughs> uh, Chelsea Wing was actually there. She got a promo. Um, she had her arm in a cast. And, I, and so she's not clear to wrestle. But she said she will be cleared by the time her match comes up in the tournament. And so I think she's a strong contender. I I'm I wouldn't be surprised if she makes it to the finals unless Beat Up on Star uh costs uh green her match maybe cuz I'm expecting at least for the semis I'm thinking Angelina Love and Chelsea Green and on the other side Nicola Boy and Allison K. 
that's what I'm, I'm thinking. And so it would work if you have beat up on star, take out Chelsea green and, and like start that feud. And that way you can have Angelina versus Nicole Savoy maybe, or, or AK. I think it's going to be between those three. So I don't know. We'll see where, we'll see where it goes. The, Ring of Honor, it's like really trying to revive this division. It's it's comatose, but maybe someone like uh, Chelsea Green can can give it some life. Uh, I'm super excited for Maria Canellas and and Chelsea Green to be working together again. So there is potential there. They just really need to give this woman time, and not just like your one chi one match in a show. You need to give them time. You need to feature them. You need to give them more storylines that go beyond the championship and not freaking like beautiful people type of storylines just given like proper rivalries between two women that want to be number one contenders and then you have the number the actual title uh rivalries you know just book him for just book him <laughs> it's basic booking and finally we go into the main event of the night Rush, the Ring of Honor World Champion, 400 and somewhat amount of days, accompanied by the Los Ingover La Facción Ingobernable, I'm sorry, um, versus Bandido, the, the most wanted luchador in the world, I guess. And this was... This was a good match, but... I I actually I've seen way more rush matches in CMLL that I've seen in Ring of Honor. And so to me this kind of felt like a CMLL match that didn't actually pull the trigger on what a rush match is. And what I mean by that is that it kind of felt like they were trying to do the whole brawl outside the ring around the fans, but they never actually pulled the trigger. They just kind of like stayed ringside and then rush would tease the fans but never actually go and cross the line and so it was kind of like i mean i wouldn't go the way to say blue balls but it just kind of like come on you're, you're right there just 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 do it and so it was a lot of like ringside type of stuff uh inside the ring was pretty fun uh not i wouldn't say really nothing special either but uh that's where Bandido would mostly get his comebacks and his hope spots at that point. And yeah, and, and this was a match really similar to other matches that we talked about where Rush was in complete dominance. At least here, it did play into the story that he lost because he got cocky. And what I mean by that is that Rush started the match hitting the bull's horns. And instead of pinning Bandido he decided to play around with him and punish him. And he had already defeated Dalton Castle, uh, like also in a similar way where he just rushed the bull's horn and that's how he got the win. And so I think there was like belief that he could have just won this match, but he decided not to. And that was a match like he kept just, like he was always in control in a certain way. Like he kicked out of the revolution fly he kicked out of the 24 plex and like he kept getting back up but he was still so cocky that he, he just wouldn't go for the kill um and that eventually it ended up costing him because in his cockiness he grabs uh bandido's mask he tears it up and in the distraction because like sometimes American promotions like to pretend that they care about masks. Um, Rush got distracted with the referee and Bandido rolled him up. That was pretty much the match. Um, and I think that's a bad story to tell. I mean, it all depends on how they're going to follow it up. But that is a really bad story to tell when your babyface champion is winning the title for the first time against the big evil. Because it makes it seem like it was an upset win. It was a fluke. Bandido just managed to survive and catch Rush out of uh, concentration, I guess we can say. 
Uh, and so I think that kind of hurts the match. It, it may actually hurt Bandido's reign, but it does depend on how this gets follow up. But this is, this is like follow up by, Hey, so rush Bandido to where, where rush actually will pay attention to the match. Okay. That's different. Uh, and when, where Bandido can actually get the win with the 24 plex. But uh, like as it is right now, it just kind of felt like Bandido got a fluke win, and then to to like make things worse after the match, LFI ran down and jumped Bandido, and it's crazy. Like right now, Ring of Honor has like this gang warfare. You have the Righteous, you have um, the Foundation, Violence Unlimited, uh, you have La Facción Ingobernable, and. You, ha- you still have like the Briscoes and the Bouncers as tag teams. Uh, who else is out there? I think Taven and, and and Bennett are still like a unit. Like, so there's all this, these teams. The one guy who actually has a team, but none of them are there is Bandido because his team is, I don't remember what they're called, but uh, it's Juice Robinson, David Finley, Tra- uh, what's the same? Uh, uh, Mark Haskins and Tennille Dashwood, I guess, and none of them are in the promotion. <laughs> like, I actually, don't even. I, I guess I think Haskins is still signed, and he will eventually come back. But like, I have no idea what the status of Juice Robinson and David Finley are. I mean, we've been seeing them in Impact, and so I don't know. I just kind of felt like Bandido got his ass kicked and no one made the save not even like ray horace or or a former world champion no one and so i don't know like that was just like kind of like a weak win for bandido but like i said if he if if the follow-up is strong i think everything can can get fixed but otherwise, he doesn't look like a conquering champion. And he I hope he doesn't celebrate as a conquering champion on the next Ring of Honor TV show. And that was the end. That was the end of the show. Um, I don't know. Like, it's it still feels like a delirious type of show. And I'm not a big fan of delirious or his booking. But... I don't know. There's some things that are, are I am interesting to see. I do want to see where uh, Violence Unlimited goes. They lost the TV title, but they gained the tag titles, and Brody King got a really big win. And and so we have things like that. Jonathan Gresham is obviously being booked to break Nigel McGuinness's Pure Championship reign, and so he's going to keep the title for a long time, uh, still. But uh, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to also to see what happens with LFI. I got a suspicion. I, I have no reason to believe this, but I have a suspicion that Roosh is on his way out of Ring of Honor because he probably wants to to go with Andrade. And I wouldn't be surprised if Andrade's big announcement that he was teasing a couple of weeks ago is that he's bringing in Rouge and even La Mascara. I don't know if he would bring La Mascara in. I don't know La Mascara. I guess he can always get papers, but uh, maybe La Mascara. And so, I don't know. It will be interesting to see what happens with LFI or at least Rush. Like, I'm pretty sure Dragon Lee is staying with Ring of Honor for now. But well, okay, so and that's another thing. Uh, at this point, we don't really know what the relationship between Ring of Honor and New Japan is, and we know that Dragon Lee is with Ring of Honor because he wants he loves to go to New Japan, and so if we were come to that, Dragon Lee is going to go to the promotion that allows him to wrestle for New Japan, as, because he doesn't he doesn't want to be in Japan full time. But he wants to be able to to work with the promotion that has relationships with New Japan. That right now is arguably uh, AW or Impact, <laughs> and so I don't know. Like, don't be surprised if Dragon Lee is also like, well, Ring of Honor. Uh, it was fun, but I just want to go to New Japan. Rush just wants money, uh, 
and now that he's homie Andrade's out, like they may want to like restart the original Ingobernable faction. Um, and I don't know. They, I don't know how. It's weird. Like the last thing I want to see is yet another promotion with yet another Ingobernable faction. I mean, there's like four, like right now, and several promotions. But you know the the chemistry's there, and so and they're best friends. Like they're legit best friends, and so they may just want to work together. And yeah, don't be surprised if Rush leaves the promotion after this. I mean, we know Bestia is going to follow because he doesn't do shit. He's just there, and Kenny King. I mean, he's just in the faction because they need someone who speaks English. That is his only use. Uh, so I mean, he could just so easily go to any other. Uh, group in Ring of Honor, but yeah, that was a show. Like I said, it was a it was a fun show. Uh, I really picked up after, especially after Brody King versus Lethal. If you have limited time, just watch it from there on. Um, but yeah, the Ring of Honor has a really specific taste, and I think a lot of it we saw here. There's a lot of things that I didn't really care for. Uh, a lot of wrestlers that to me are just incredibly generic and I just don't care for them or they're just like flat earthers like Gordon who I don't care for uh so I don't know uh it'll be like like, like always with Rear of Honor it's interesting to see where they go there's a rumor that Chris Hero may be joining the the backstage office and so that could be like I could have like a lot of potential because I would imagine Chris Hero is a way better booker than Delirious. Uh, so yeah, let's see where it goes. And just because I don't want to have a full WRPX show without talking about Japan, we're going to talk about a little show that took place just a couple of days ago on the 13th of July, Ichigaya Chocolate Square. And that is... I only live twice. The Masahiro Takahashi return show in Chocopro. And man, was this a great freaking show. It every now and then Gato Move just has like these little special shows that they just totally deliver. Uh and this was one of them. This this wasn't actually like a Chocopro numbered show. Uh, this was a special I Only Live Twice. This was actually supposed to happen at Shinguku Face in Tokyo. But I, I actually don't know if it's because of the pandemic, but for reasons, they had to move it to Chocopro, to Chigaya, with no fans, obviously. And I don't know, like, I think it actually made for a better show. I, I'm not a f- big fan of Chocopro matches when they happen in a ring because... Some of the shtick is not as fun to see in a ring as it is to see it in Shigaya. But the show opened with a, a hell of a match. Chris Brooks and, Ju- and Jukio Sakaguchi defeated the team of Minoru Fujita and Balianaki. And so this was Jukio Sakaguchi's debut for the promotion. Uh, Sakaguchi is the ass kicker from DDT. Well, one half of eruption or one third of eruption. And this was great. The storyline here is that Chris Brooks is still feuding with Lulu Pencil. And here he was going against one half of the Lulu Pencil army, Fujita, and one half of the best bros, who is like his other rivals, uh, Balianaki. And even beyond that, Fujita is the technically Chocopro champion. And so I think they've been like boiling that underneath, like in the oven, not exactly in the flame, just in the oven. Uh, but yeah, and it was a, a pretty good match. Uh, I love seeing Sakaguchi in a Chocopro environment. Like he's a guy that doesn't really require ropes. He's just an ass kicker and a submission guy. So he looked pretty good. Um, a lot of action. The match actually went. The all matches to uh, this show went actually longer. The show usually goes like top to bottom. It usually goes about an hour, and this one went two hours. Uh, all things together, and so that was uh, pretty good. They gave, they they gave all matches a lot of time, 
And so, yeah, that was the first match. Great stuff. Uh, Brooks was a total heel, uh, which works perfectly for him in Chocopro. And yes, Sakaguchi was there. Uh, that was beautiful. It was just beautiful. The match actually saw Sakaguchi tap out Balianaki for the win. So, hey, maybe Sakaguchi and someone else can go against the best bros for the tag titles. Maybe Sakaguchi and Sakiakai. And why do I say Sakiakai? Because the next match was Neobishikini Gun, Sakisama, and Mei Saint Michel versus Emi Sakura and Juna Misamori. Oh, this was also fantastic. This was Sakisama's, I think, Sakisama's debuted in Choco Pro. Uh, and this also had May working as her Saint Michelle character, which we've never seen in Choco Pro, and it was fantastic just to see, just to see her uh, interacting with Emi Sakura, because we've seen like the the promotion itself. It's really Emi Sakura and May Suruga, and Balianaki, I guess, but like it's really just Emi and May, and seeing Emi. The same one we always see have to deal with Saint Michelle was fantastic. It was hilarious. Sakisama also had a couple of spots that were fantastic. There's one spot that I loved where she gets whipped into the mirror and she, she stops and she's just like looking at herself and she's like flabbergasted by her beauty. And it was like, yes, that's perfect for Sakisama. Um, so yeah, a couple of spots like that. There, were, My favorite spot of the whole night actually was a spot where Emi Sakura locked in, like she had both Sakisama and Mei, she brought them to the floor and she locked in like a stretch muffler on Sakisama, but instead of using her neck, she used Mei, uh, Mei's like body as the, the clutch, I guess, for the stretch muffler. And then at the same time, she was going through the neck of May, so it was almost like a rear naked choke on May. That was a beautiful, beautiful spot. Uh, my, like I said, like my favorite of the night. And at the end, it was Sakisama getting the win over Yuna. Uh, good stuff all around. A lot of comedy, but like good comedy and actually pretty good action. Uh, so another thumbs up match. And finally, we got to the main event. Uh, this was a three-match card, as usual. And this was Masahiro Takanashi's return. He had surgery on the leg not long ago. He actually recovered quite quick, if you ask me. Um, and so he, this is the return match. He going, he's going against Fuminori Abe. And if you don't know Fuminori Abe, oh boy, do you need to go and look this guy up. He's one half of the astronauts, the tag team champions in Big Japan Pro Wrestling. He is a fantastic, fantastic wrestler. Um, you may also have seen him like he's all over the place right now. He's I don't think he's signed to anyone. He may be signed to Basada, um, but like this year he's been in bjw he's been and i think he's done like some all japan already he's done some gleed uh stuff like that and so you can find him in a lot of places and he is currently the the tag team champion uh, along with takuya nomura with nomura is fantastic they are the astronauts so they're the tag team champions in bjw and also in iron fist um just a fantastic wrestler and Masahiro is also a great wrestler he is like slightly older he's more of a a DDT type of guy uh he's actually been Chris Brooks's kind of like I don't know like guy since Brooks kind of went over there he's the guy who seconds Chris Brooks in most matches or most big matches he's the guy who helps Chris Brooks uh do the the Chris Brooks produced shows stuff like that and so I mean, this was good. Like, actually, Chris Brooks and someone else, I didn't actually notice who it was, but some, uh, Chris Brooks was his second. And so they had a great match. It was just pretty much submission and striking all around. 
Um, Abe worked Takarashi's, uh, like, just barely repaired leg. And so Masa, like, sold it like a champion. This went about 30 minutes, too. And it was just great, great, great. One of the, like, the best matches, like, just straight up matches that we've seen in Choco Pro since the beginning. And totally a match that I would recommend you go out of your way to watch. If you've never seen Choco Pro or if you're one of those uh, people who live in denial that Choco Pro is bad because comedy is bad, go watch this match because this was so freaking good. Um, and yeah, like I, it's kind of unfortunate that this is not, I don't know if, what's going to happen with Ave and Masa in terms of Choco Pro. I would love to see them back. Uh, I mean, the same with Sakaguchi and, and Sagisama, obviously. But uh, I don't like since this was kind of like an improv show. And I mean, Masa is not exactly like much of a wrestler in Chocopro, as we at least since we've started. So we'll see if they, they bring they start doing more stuff in, in Chocopro. It'd be nice. Like, I wouldn't really mind Masa starting to tag team with someone or, or getting in the matches. But he's always there. He's always he's the guy who does like a lot of the commentary. Uh, yeah, like Masa has been with Gato Move pretty much forever, and so it's 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 good that he got his his big match returning Ichigaya, I think. And after the match, uh, the big development is that Emi Sakura uh, booked a thirty minute. Iron Man match between Lulu Pencil and Chris Brooks. Um, there's other matches booked, but that was like the main one. And that, I don't know if that's going to be like the big send off or not send off, but like uh, the big climax of the Lulu Pencil and Brooks feud. But I would, I would imagine so. And that should be really good. Uh, it's, it's going to be interesting to see Lulu Pencil go 30 minutes uh in an iron man match but i think there's potential there and i think that's going to be taking place in about a month i actually didn't pay attention i'm sorry but uh that is going to be taking place soon so wait for that 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 should be good it'll be interesting to see uh if i don't know certain people appear during that match or not we'll see we'll see but yeah, got the move, like always doing good stuff. Sometimes we don't talk about got the move because there's just so many things happening, but they've been having a really good year. They just finished the tag team uh, round robin tournament, which was fantastic. Uh, there wasn't a single match in that tournament that I didn't like. So these, 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 this little promotion in Ichigaya, like, they know how to book wrestling. They know how to do wrestling, even if they don't have a ring. And you want to think they're they're not good because they do comedy. <sighs> anyway, the one last thing that I want to cover today is we have a pay-per-view on Saturday. That is Impact Wrestling's Slammiversary 2021, July 17, Nashville, Tennessee, highway studios this is going to be the first impact show with audience with a live audience uh, since the pandemic started and so i am excited for that we have a seven match card what i i think they're still going to add one more match and maybe a pre-show match and so maybe we'll be seeing two more matches be added on thursday uh, we still do. We still have a, a go home show on taking British on Thursday that we will uh, forecast in a little bit. But for now, a quick rundown of the Slammiversary card. We have Eddie Edwards versus W. Morrissey. Uh, the story here is pretty basic. Morrissey jumped Eddie Edwards, and so Eddie Edwards is going to get revenge. Uh, <clears throat> he's, I guess, he's trying to show Eddie Edwards that. People in wrestling are shitty because no one came out to save him or help him. And that's really like everything to it. We have Fire and Flava. Kira Hogan and Tesha Steels defend the tag team championships against Havoc and Rosemary. This is this is I so 
I would imagine Havok and Rosemary are going to win this match and the titles, and that's what they're going to do with them for a while. But I also wouldn't be surprised if a certain iconic tag team debuts on Slammiversary and challenges the winning Fire and Flavor. And they could be total baby faces, uh, the Iconics. Because something to think about this show is that this is going to be one of the big, the first big major shows taking place after the initial uh, released group from WWE. And so this is when the Iconics particularly could make a debut for another promotion. And I think going against Fire and Flava could be that move. It could be a start of something uh, unless they're kind of like they want to wait to go to AW. But AW doesn't have tag team like women tag team titles. So I don't know. Maybe Impact is a good move for them right now. So maybe Fire and Flava could win. Um, we have Bylan by the sign defending the Impact World Tag Team Championships against Rich Swan and Willie Mack, against TJP and Falaba, and against the Good Brothers, Doc Gallus and Carl Anderson. I don't know who is going to be doing the defending. I would imagine it's going to be Joe Doring and Diener. But, I mean, maybe they're, they could change Diener for Rhino. Uh, or I, I hope they don't change Doring for Rhino. I, I just want to see Doring in the ring. But this could be interesting. Uh, it's a lot of people and there's a lot of hosses and some smaller guys like you do put Anderson like Anderson Swan and TJP could have top level matches with anyone else. Uh, so there's I don't know. There's a lot of potential for really cool pairings in this match. Like I don't know, like like I said, Swan versus Anderson, TJP versus Swan, TJP versus Anderson, uh, Swan versus uh, Doring, Gallows versus Doring. Uh, Willie Mack versus Doring, Willie Mack versus Rhino, Willie Mack versus Gallows. I don't know. There's a lot of combinations that could give us some interesting matches. And so we'll see where it goes. I, I don't really know who could win this one. I I wouldn't mind if they keep it with Biden by the side, but I also wouldn't mind if Rich Swan and Willie Mack take the titles. Uh, they've been chasing those titles even before Willie Mack. I mean, Rich Swan got injured. So... They may just want to like put the titles there to have something for Swan to do. Um, now, now that he's not particularly chasing Omega, we have Diana Parasso defending her title against a contender to be announced. Uh, uh, this person will be revealed on the day of the Slammiversary. Speculation goes from, I mean. Mickey James, Kylie Ray, uh, Chelsea Green, uh, Britt Baker. I've seen many, many names like rumored, or maybe it's just like a completely new person debuting. Uh, maybe someone from Japan. I don't know. Uh, this it's interesting just for the sense that it's someone new. I I don't think it's going to be someone underwhelming like Taylor Wilde. But I guess we should also shouldn't have our hopes that high. Let's just keep it at a good level because it could actually be Taylor Wilde. Uh, she came back and she never actually, she just disappeared. So we'll see. But I mean, regardless, it, it is a Diana Parasso match. And I think, you know, Diana Parasso is one of the best female wrestlers uh, in the U.S. right now. He's, she's just fantastic. And her matches are always good. She has a fantastic um, style and storytelling that uh, works for her. The only dangerous thing is that if this is a TBA uh, to be announced, there's a chance this could be the end of her reign <laughs> because you could debut someone big with a championship win and maybe, maybe that's going to happen. Uh, we have Chris Saban versus Moose in what seems like a filler match. Uh, just to have Moose in the show. I, yeah, I think that's it. I think the match will be good because Chris Saban is fantastic and Moose is fantastic. This, I think it's an easy win for Moose. 
And I would imagine this is where Moose's, uh, it's weird because it's uh, like a heel versus baby face, but I think this is where Moose's, like going back to the line to chase Omega starts. Uh, I still think it's going to be Moose versus Omega at Bound for Glory for the title. And so maybe this is where it starts. We have an Ultimate X, X Division championship match this has a potential to be crazy fantastic but it's also a lot of people so it, it they have to get a lot of time and hopefully they will this is josh alexander the champion defending against pity williams trey miguel ace austin chris bay and rohi raju and we better know that madman fulton and mahavali chira will be out there I don't know. There's a lot of potential here for a fantastic match. Uh, Josh Alexander has been like one of the MVPs of the promotion in 2021. And by all means, and what I understand is that impact is really high on him and they want to keep pushing him higher. And so I think he's going to defend the title. Uh, but nonetheless, I think we're going to see some cool stuff. I I hope we're going to see cool stuff and it's going to be with fans. So if you do like crazy dives, the fans will pop. And finally, we have the main event of Slammiversary. No disqualification match for the Impact World Championship. Kenneth Omega, the champion defending against Sammy Callahan, the, the dastardly Sammy Callahan. Uh, I would imagine Kenny Omega wins, uh, especially if it's a, a no DQ match. That's going to give an opening for the good brothers and the bucks to run down. I don't think there's anyone who wants to aid Sammy Callahan. So I think he's fucked in that sense. And I just don't think it's Callahan, the guy who's going to get the title back from Omega. I think there, whoever wins the title from Omega has to be the guy that impact is going to go with as a poster boy for a while. And I, I still think that's moves. Uh, so yeah, that, that's the matches that we have so far. I don't know if they're going to add any more. Uh, like we're supposed to have a Jordan Grayson and Rachel Ellering versus Tennille Dashwood and Caleb with a K match on Thursday and not to spoil the forecast, but I wouldn't be surprised if Ellering and Jordan Grace get added to the pay-per-view, even to the fire and flavor and have a gross Mary match, maybe, um, so like there's people like that that I, they're not in the card that I'm surprised they're not. So maybe they'll they'll make it in. Uh, beyond that, there's really not many names that like I mean, for instance, we're missing Decay, but Decay just really could be a perfectly fine team for the pre-show match. Uh, maybe like a Decay versus Triple XL type of thing. Um, so we'll see where it goes. Um, another thing that. There's potential. Alex Shelley, we haven't talked about him in a while, but he he's a guy who stopped wrestling because of his work. If I don't know if he's vaccinated and things are more back to normal where he lives and where he works, he could travel for the tapings and the pay-per-view. And we may see a Chris Saban and Alex Shelley reunion, which again, fantastic. Uh, so I, it, it's really interesting. This year, Slammiversary teased the the whole like release uh, wrestlers from WWE early on when they started the promoting promoting the the pay per view, but they they really toned it down as we started getting closer because it, it became about Callahan and, and Omega. That's the selling point, not the debuts or surprises. And so, I do think that offers us the the opening for, to do a lot of surprises that we were not expecting at all, and that is something to keep in mind. I think it's a it could be exciting, and that is it for the main stuff that I wanted to cover this week. Um, but since we're already talking about impact, yes, let's talk about the impact traffic report. Impact Wrestling of July 15. As we already kind of started talking, we have a couple of matches and let's go over them real quick. <laughs> uh, the first match we already mentioned, Tennille Dashwood and Caleb Whitaker are going to take on Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering. 
nothing stand the line, but I think there may be more to this uh, going into anniversary. This is the last spot go home show, so there is this is the last stop before we can do stuff. <laughs> uh, we have Moose versus Hernandez. Uh, last week we saw Moose jump Chris Saban in Swingers Paradise, and he took out Hernandez, and so now Hernandez is getting some revenge on that. We have Havok versus Tasha Steels as they tease and and build up the big tag title match for Slammiversary. And we have what seems to be on paper a hell of a match. The Battle of the Hosses, Willie Mack, Falaba, Doc Gallows, and Joe Doring going at it. These four guys are going to be contending for the tag team championships on Slammiversary. Uh, we had the their counterparts wrestle last week, and so now we have the Hosses. This could be fucking amazing if they give him some time because <laughs> any combination between these four guys could be really interesting uh but that is pretty much it that's what's been announced for this week uh we have a bti match which i think it's like johnny swinger versus like chris saban so it's not really something worth talking about uh but yeah like i, I would imagine we're going to get some video packages and some stuff happening with Eddie Edwards, with the exhibition, with um, Diana Parasso, stuff like that. So it should all be good. Uh, and yeah, and that's going to be it for Impact, and that's going to be also it for WRPX this week. Um, remember, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or WRPXpodcast.com. If you go to iTunes, leave a five stars and a review. Like if you want to leave a bad review, leave five stars. If you want to leave one star, leave a good review, I guess. Uh, that's how it works on Spotify. Just remember to follow. Um, we have a lot of stuff there. And you can also go to thewrestlingrevolution.com where you can find the written versions of all the shows that we talked about this and every other week. Actually, I don't think I've, I have the Choco Pro show written down. <laughs> that may be the only exception. Uh, also, you can go to Twitter and find me as the W Revolution, uh, where you can. That is the easiest way to contact me if you want to contact me for any other for some reason. And yeah, and last but not least, uh, Figure Four W Online, where you can see uh, my live coverage of Impact this Thursday for the normal Impact show, and on Saturday for Slammiversary. So if you by any reason are not able to watch the show live remember you can go and and see the results that i am writing down uh for you to consume for you so that is it uh and until next week adios well that's about it son of a gun we've enjoyed it looking forward to next week i guess we'll have to wait a week before we get to it but we'll be right back again for Corey macklin dave brown lance russell saying Bye-bye, everybody.